All right. Happy Easter, everyone. And what a reason to be happy this morning. I want to remind any of you, do not feel guilty. I think, has my wife left the room already? She's gone to the overflow. <laughs> so if that's you, moms and dads, please don't feel guilty about uh, departing. No one will look at you strangely. They'll understand uh, what's, uh, what troubled you in, like my wife. Okay. Right, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We're reading one verse this morning as a continuation of our Good Friday service. And again, if you weren't here on Good Friday, I encourage you to give it a listen online. It'll be posted on Tuesday. You can go to our website for all our sermons. But today, let's read from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is Paul writing to the the church of Galatians. He says here, I have been crucified with Christ. It's an incredible. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amazing. Just one verse, and in it, every single part of it is packed with some of the most incredible truth, reality, that Paul says, as a believer, we experience. And we want to remind you of what our theme of this year in Easter is. The theme this year is seeing Easter in me. And uh, very clever, Carrie put together a mirror so that when we look in ourselves, we are to see Easter. That's, exactly, that's essentially what happened with Paul. He says, this act that happened 2,000 years ago wasn't just some abstract thing that was disconnected to his life. He said, looking back 2,000 years ago, he could see himself in the cross. That's what he says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. A profound statement. In other words, Paul says this. He says, what we are celebrating over Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus, he says, he can look back 2,000 years ago and say, I was there. What happened to Christ is what happened to me. And Easter, for Paul, was something intensely personal. And we said on Friday, the moment you come to faith in Jesus Christ is you receive Christ. Jesus, you asked me this morning, maybe you're here and, ask, and you're asking, what does the Christian church offer? What does this Christian faith present to the world? We are presenting a person. His name is Jesus. I'm going to have to ask you, Nikki, to help me out there. Don't worry, it's a family service. Who knows? One of them might get saved today. So, now, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you receive literally Jesus Christ. If you want to ask, what is on offer if I come to faith in the Son of God? What is on offer is His entire person to you. So that when you come to faith in Jesus, we said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you get plunged, you get put into the life of Christ. The, the scriptures talk it like, the, they say like this, they say, you have been put in Christ. Now, why is that so profound? Because everything he is becomes yours. Another way of putting that is everything that's happened to Jesus has happened to you. In other words, 
every single part of his life. The second, I don't know how it happened, miraculously, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, this virgin. And the moment life was conceived in her womb and Christ came into the world, every second of every heartbeat, everything he did perfectly for God the Father, every way Christ pleased God becomes yours. I ask you this morning, why can God receive you? Because you receive the perfect life of Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? Yes. And if what happened to Jesus was his life is what happens to you, it gets given to you. If what happens on, at, at the cross on Good Friday happens to you as well. As he died, and because you're in Christ, you died too. That's what Paul says. He could look back and say, I have been crucified with Christ. So that this old Matt Johnson, and put your name in that blank space, it was separated from God under sin, under shame, under condemnation, under eternal judgment, receives the glorious death shared with Christ. So that on Friday, that old life, that old self, Ali's old guilt, dies. Never again to be resurrected. Amen. The resurrection life is not the old Matt or the old you that happens to the believer. No, no. Sunday that we're celebrating today is receiving the resurrected life of Jesus. And Paul puts it like this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's Good Friday. It is no longer I who live. This is this Sunday. But Christ who lives in me. Do you notice the absence of the old you in that saying? No longer I who live. Praise God. That old life is gone. Oh, the new life I receive is Jesus. Why? Because when you come to faith in Christ, you receive him. And we said on Good Friday, isn't it the most audacious thing in the world for a religion to offer out eternal life? How can the Christian faith say, if you come to Christ, you will have eternal life? And guaranteed, it is because you receive Jesus. And my friend, can Jesus die? Can the resurrection life that has been put into you in your soul that has been born again with the resurrection power and life of Jesus die? No, my friend, you must have incredible assurance in your salvation that you didn't receive an old mixed up life with the new. You received the very life of Jesus. And if he's in heaven, so are you. The Bible is so convinced of the fact that you are in Christ. And what happens to him happens to you is that he can say, Paul says in Ephesians, he says, you have already been seated in the heavenly places. You are there. Because Christ rose again and he ascended to the Father. And my friend, that is where you call home as a Christian. This world is not your home. In actual fact, the Bible says the second we come to faith, we are aliens to this world because we're going to go be with the one who rescued us, Jesus Christ. Ah, oh, but now something interesting happens. But now what? Is that it? Are we home yet? No. Paul says, I'm not in heaven yet. Something has happened to me. The second we come to faith, that's what Paul's saying. There has been an entirely new work on the inside, the life. Inside of him is Christ. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The second we come to faith, God radically does a work inside of us. But are we in heaven yet? No. This new salvation life has started in our souls, but we're still in the same body, right? It sucks, but it's true. <laughs> is that we are in this old body that drags us and drags our soul 
You know, sometimes my little girl, she holds onto my leg. And you've got to kind of pull her along, either because she doesn't want to go. Or you've got to drag her to get to the, the, the dinner table. And that is what the experience is like for a Christian is that there's something that's happened in your life and suddenly you realize you've got new desires, new worship, new outlook on life. There's something radical that has changed in you, but yet you're confronted with the same old body and the same old mind so that you feel new on the inside, but you feel old on the outside. Does that make sense? (laughs) Is that you feel a part of heaven, but you're still a part of earth. And so there's a space inside of you. Paul says, ah, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's Good Friday. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the resurrection Sunday. But he says something still has to happen. He says, it is no longer I live, but Christ lives with me. And the life I now live in the flesh. He's like, I'm still stuck in this body, and I've got to get on with living for Jesus. I've got to get on doing things for the Savior that has rescued me. The life I now live in the body, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, guys, we have to see Easter in our lives every single day because what happens on Good Friday and what happened in the Resurrection Sunday plays out till we go to glory. We have to work out this new resurrection life in us into every area of our lives. And the way we do that is we go on believing Jesus. How do you live a life as a Christian? You go on believing Jesus as he was your means of salvation. So he is the means of your leadership, of your sanctification, of how to become increasingly like in this life. What do I mean by you go on believing Jesus? Paul says, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It is this, you believe everything he says and you believe everything he's done. I'll say it again. You believe everything Jesus has said, and you believe everything Jesus has done. That becomes, my friend, the rock on which you stand. And supremely, supremely, we are to live out this life by looking at the cross. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Isn't that incredible? That cross happened years before, but Paul could say when he went into a city, there was one thing, Corinthians, I wanted you to know that I want you to build your life on. It was Jesus Christ. Oh, but don't forget, it was Jesus Christ crucified. That when you see the cross, it is to remind you about how you are to live. And my friends, that's what we're going to be doing in just a moment. We're going to be taking this glorious meal of communion. Have you ever wondered why we take this meal over and over again? It's to point us to the cross of Christ. It is so profound. I thought of us in the prayer meeting this morning that we cannot take it in in one go. We need daily fresh exposure to what God did on the cross in Jesus Christ for us to be able to take it all in. And Jesus says that's what we need to do, to do this in remembrance of him. And what's powerful about this, this one verse is in the Greek, I don't do this often, but this time I need to, is the tense of I have been crucified with Christ. It is in the perfect tense. You know what that means? It means a past action that has a present day consequence. And I'll use a very good example for South Africans, Eskom. 
Eskom turns off the power. And you can say it in two ways. Eskom, 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 Eskom. <laughs> Almost said Eskom. Eskom has turned off, oh, Eskom turned off the electricity. That is not the perfect tense. In other words, if I say to John, Eskom's turned off the electricity, you can, I can, he can ask me, well, is it still off? Have they turned it back on? But if I said, no, John, Eskom has turned off the electricity, it means we are still in darkness. The past consequence of Eskom load-shedding my house means I am still presently in the darkness. But the resurrection is totally different. Where Paul says this cross, this crucifixion, sorry, where Paul says, I have been crucified in Christ. He said it was a past event which I shared in. Oh, but it plays out. It echoes. It is experienced every single day of my life. And I want to point out to you with as little time as I've got, and I just want to say I feel like I'm offering up just starters this morning, just little snippets of what it means to see Easter in us by gazing on the cross of Christ, how powerfully your life, my friend, will be changed. And I'm, at this sermon today, I'm preaching from a, a book that talks about the cross. He looks at scripture, a guy called John Stott. If you want to read a book that will change your life, it is called The Cross of Christ by John Stott, particularly Living in the Light of the Cross. And I would say it is a book you can read for the rest of your life, once a year. And largely what we are grappling with today is adapted and, and moved or taken from these glorious meditations and examinations of Scripture on the cross. What we need to see this morning, SBC is that the cross radically reshapes every relationship in your life. It radicalizes your relationships in three ways. The first is it radically changes your relationship with God. The second thing, it radically changes or, or shapes your relationship with God's people. And thirdly, it radically reshapes your relationship with the world. Doesn't that sound familiar? The call to love up, to love in, and to love out. Can we say it again? To love up, to love in, to love out. Let me hear you. To love, to love, to love, to love out. And I want to quickly unpack just these three loves of how the cross, if you daily have a download of this cross of Jesus, of being able to see Easter in your life, it will be life-changing. And the first is this. How does the cross shape our relationship with God? How does gazing on the cross help us love Him? Well, the first is this, is that the cross is the proclamation that God is willing to enter into friendship with you. I want to say that again. It is a friendship of unequals, but it is friendship nonetheless. The cross is the invitation to be reconciled to God. You know what the definition of reconciliation is? It is the restoration of friendly relations. Now, if any of you have been married or brothers or sisters here, it's awful to be in a space where there's tension, right? I was thinking how terrible. Life is miserable 
when there is tension and separation between two parties. But what the cross has done powerfully in Jesus Christ is opened up the means of reconciliation to the world so that for anybody who comes to faith in Jesus this morning, you don't receive a judge anymore. You receive a father who wants to have friendly relations with you. Amen? It says in, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, it's like this. If you live from seeing the cross in your life and gazing upon its meaning for day-to-day -day experience, it is remembering this, is that God, whilst we were still enemies, the whole world, whilst we were still, in a sense, ignoring him, getting on with our own life, and disobeying his commands, he sends Christ, and Christ, is, he dies on this cross. And this purchase of Jesus, this offering up of his body and blood, God the Father says it's so that he can call you friend. He can call you son and daughter of the living God. So now why is this important? My friends, today, if there's one thing that Satan attacks... If there's one thing he puts pressure on in your life and mine, it is the point of whether, we, at, at, at whether or not we feel loved by God. What do I mean by that? Is if Satan can make us feel insecure about the love of the Father for us, he's got us because we start to doubt the very foundation of our confidence and acceptance before God. And if you speak to any Christian here, you will recognize that there are days when you wake up or there's things, things that happen in your life that the great fight and the great struggle, and let me tell you, I'm looking across this room. Everybody look at me. When I look at your eyes, I know your eyes have seen pain just like I have. Broken marriages, lost loved ones, terrible decisions that you regret, these things that haunt your life, they're like a shadow that cast over your life. My friend, when life happens to the believer, let me tell you, what's put at stake and what, what's put pressure on is whether or not God still loves me. Any of you ever been in that situation where you feel like you're praying and you're desperate? One family reminded me today, uh, it was yes, uh, which day are we on? I'm so dear my God. Is it Sunday? Hey? It was Friday. Friday, yes. Chatting, saying they were in such financial straits, straits that they weren't sure where, what they were going to do next. And she said to me, and this is the experience of so many of us, she's like, God, do you care? Don't you know what that feels like here? Yeah? Some wayward child, some terrible boss. <laughs> some awful accusation that's falsely alleged against you, some aspect of your life that has been so broken and so painful and the delay of God in answering or the doubt that Satan brings or the guilt that he brings upon past actions that you can't fix or change before God so that when you come into his presence, you feel this constant sense of grief and guilt before a God who's supposed to be your friend. And I say that unequally, but I say that almost in a sense of, how warm God is towards us. Do you know what happens is, Satan comes and says, God doesn't love you. Look at this. You know what else he says? He says, this is too big. You've blown it. God can't rescue you in this situation. You've signed your own guilty sentence. Do you know what you do in that situation? Is you look to Easter. You know, the, the great William Perkins, I didn't like everything he writes, but there's one thing that he wrote that was brilliant. 
He says, you never believe the devil even if he's right. Because he hates you. And he only even works the truth in inverted commas to kill, steal, and destroy. What you aren't, you don't even argue with Satan. My friend, for the Christian who lives with Easter and their forefront of their minds, is your answer is to Satan, Christ has died. That's it. When that guilt's breathing down your neck, you say, ah, Christ has died. I refuse to prove myself before you, O God, because Christ proved himself to God and he was enough. The second thing is, is anything too hard for God? Some of us here, I know what life is like. Financially, things are tight. The economy is getting worse and worse. You're not sure how life's going to look like in the future. And everything around you seems so depressing. I ask you today, was anything harder to accomplish in the cross? Was anything more difficult for God than to reconcile the world through the Son of God's body and blood? The hardest thing that we face, my friend, is our own sin and its consequences. And on the cross, Christ defeated it all. Your answer to that is Christ has died. And if he's able to accomplish the cross, my friend, he can accomplish anything. Don't you love what Paul says? If God did not withhold his own son, he didn't spare his own son for you, that you might have what you need in this life, how much more will he provide everything that you need for life and godliness? The second, what this does is is when you recognize how reconciled you are to God, it gives you such a sense of boldness to approach Him, no matter how you feel. You see, as Christians, we have to wrestle with emotions, right? Some days we feel better than others. Some days we feel more on our game than others. And I ask you, if you are going to base your approach to God and how you feel, which is generally influenced by how well you're doing, the two go together. How well you think you're doing means often how well you feel about yourself is if you recognize that God, offering up Jesus, has made a way for you to come permanently, that on your best day, I will say it again because it takes us a lifetime to understand, on your best day, your access to God is the cross. On your worst day, can you hear me now? On your worst day, your access to God is through the cross. Do you hear me? You try and approach any other way, it leads to two things in your life. It leads either to depression Because it's just despair. Despair at what? The weight of your failure. The other thing is this. Is the option is self-righteousness. Where you come to the cross and you say, I actually don't need you. Right now I'm sufficient to come to God myself. Can I give you some advice, my friends? Are you looking for a stable Christian walk? In an unstable world? Are you looking for an anchor of your soul that's able to keep you strong through all the shifting and shaking of your emotions, of your body, of your mind, of politics, of even this creation that is earthquakes and tragedy? Are you looking for stability in this world? My friend, it comes through seeing the cross as your access to God. When the world or your life or circumstances are at their best, they are never enough to get get to God except through the cross. Oh, but even more so. When we are at our worst, our access to God is the cross. And what prevents us from being schizophrenic, bipolar Christians? And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but I do know you know what that means. Is to have the cross as our position of boldness. Do you know how you understand salvation? 
Do you know how you understand grace? Is on your best day, there is only one way. And on your worst way, day, there's only one way. It's the cross. Now, what this boldness does is it banishes insecurity. It makes us refuse to feel unforgiven. We have boldness in our approach to prayer. I've got to move on. I've got lots to say. But the other thing that it does is in terms of loving up, if we keep the cross central, is it helps us experience. This is very important. It helps us experience how much we are loved by God. Can I say the hardest thing in the world for you and me is to feel like we are truly loved by God. Can I see some nodding of heads if you can agree with that? If you think, never mind, I won't be controversial. It's this wonderful thing. It's when you look at the cross, is you see how much you are worth to God. Isn't that wonderful, Gail? Can I tell you, sometimes, because of the strain of this life on our souls, is we struggle to feel loved. Do you know how you get yourself, and Jude commands it, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, is you marvel and you meditate on how much you are worth to God. Do you know how much you are worth to God? Is the value of his own son. And even now for the believer, if you ask yourself the question, how much does God love you? He loves you as much as Jesus where do we see that? We see it in the cross. I tell you, so often we are depressed and disconcerted by so many things. Do you know what you need to do in that moment? You need to stop and go. This might be happening, but the Father loves me. How do I know that? I'm going to just gaze for five minutes on the cross. And not only that, it helps us love God. Don't you want to love a God that loves you so much he's offered up his own son for you? Don't you want to love a God who says you're accepted and forgiven? Doesn't it just fuel what we did this morning in worship? Let me tell you, are some of you struggling to worship God? It happens to me quite often. I wake up in the morning and I've had two cups of coffee, and that's my best time before my kids wake up. And I come into God and go, oh my goodness, why am I doing this? I'm being very honest with you now. And I start to go, Lord, I thank you that I'm coming to you by the blood of Jesus. And I started saying, thank you, God. I am forgiven that the cross speaks for me today, that I am access to your presence. And though I might not feel it, you are hearing me right now because you are receiving me as a son. Do you know how much it makes him happy when you do that? When you start to affirm his fathering on your life and what he's given you in Jesus, he delights in us coming by having a joyful, worshiping heart, by being so in tune to his grace. When we have to do that by helping ourselves to see it, but we do that by looking at the cross. Can I tell you sometimes, like myself, why we struggle to worship is we, through whatever circumstance, has allowed a stingy view of God to come into our lives. It's a lovely word that's stingy. But what fuels worship is the generosity of a God in heaven who says, Welcome in Christ. Oh, what is the time? I don't have a watch. Oh. Five past. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I've got to go fast. The other thing the cross will do is it will make you hate sin. You see, we are at danger here 
of being so secure in the cross, sin makes no sense to us. I ask you, how do I know that God hates sin? Because his own son was crucified for it. What will make you resist sin? What will make you have an attitude that is godlike towards sin? It is this, my friend. It is understanding that this sin crucified Jesus Christ on the cross. And my allegiance to Jesus is to deny the very thing that crucified him. And how do I keep this fresh? You know what will sensitize you to what doesn't please God in your life? It's called sin. It is meditating on the cross and what it costs the Son of God. He sweated blood for it. Why would you return to it? The other thing is this is, is if the Son of God died from, uh, for our sin, that means you died to sin. Why would you go back to what you died to? Why would you go revel in the very thing that separated you from God? Why would you want to partake in something that crucified the Son of God? The more you meditate on the cross in Easter, the more you recognize how much God hates sin, and it will change your life. It will change your life. Well, then how do we love Him? How does the cross shape the way we love God's people? Well, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we're preaching on it at the moment. So come this Sunday, Building Committed Communities is what we're preaching on. But I want to say this. Will you just have a quick look around you? Don't be awkward. Other people are going to be doing it too. Have a quick look around you and smile. Have a look around. Have a look around. Don't be so Western. Don't be so individualistic. There we go. Setting the example. Now I ask you, do you want to know? Listen to me quickly. Or look here. You're doing well. Look at me here quickly. Do you know how precious these brothers and sisters are to God? Is the blood of Jesus. Why do we want to serve God's people? Why do we want to give ourselves to their well-being? Because, my friend, I want to put it to you like this. Do you want to love God? Demonstrate it in your love for his loved ones. The cross tells us how much we were purchased by God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20, the blood of Christ. And when you look around at your brothers and sisters, how valuable are they to Jesus? And how valuable should they be to us? It is the Son of God's own body and blood. I look at Uncle Terry over there. He is priceless. And so my life is given to him because of his value to God. Who I am is not withheld from him because Christ did not withhold himself for him. And the preciousness of his wife and Uncle Terry and all of you guys here is that the blood of Jesus says, how much is the church valuable to God? How much do we lay our lives down for her welfare? It is because Christ has purchased her. She is Christ's own possession. And I tell you, if you meditate on the cross, it would help you see a life of service. Any of you feeling a little bit... Um, Indolent is the kind word. What does that mean? Yes, someone asked me. Now I can say it. Lazy. <laughs> no, I put it like this. Don't you find sometimes there are better things to do than being faithful to Jesus in service? Let's just be honest here. There are many this morning who have represented what it means to recognize costly, sacrificial service. What stirs you to find meaning in giving something that you don't really want to give or being dutiful when you don't really want to do it? It's the cross. 
did Jesus want to get up on that morning in Gethsemane? And it was early morning. It was probably midnight or one o'clock. Pierre can correct my theology. I can't remember. It was dark and everybody else was sleeping and he was exhausted, but he went to God because he was desperate. And he said to God, can I drink another cup? Can I drink another? Do I have to go through this cross? It was the last thing Jesus ever wanted to do. Now, please, I don't say getting up for church on Sunday morning or attending small group is the same level as that, but I think you get the point, right? None of you have sweated blood yet in order to get to church. Young parents, I know you feel like that, but uh, we make it. Is this, ladies and gentlemen, what spurs us on to faithfulness in our service of the Lord is because of the faithfulness of Christ even being crucified on a cross. And I ask you this morning, just simply, what are you doing for the Lord? My friends, we live in a culture which says the cross exists for me. No, no, the same attitude that we have is Christ died for the world. He gave up himself for other people. How is that making our hearts being shaped to give up our lives for other people? The more you meditate on the cross, the more it demonstrates a life of service, and it is glorious. It is service that is costly, but my friends, it is beautiful to God because it has the fragrance of Jesus. The last is this is how do we love out? How does the cross shape my relationship with the world around us? Well, don't you think it's amazing what the purpose of the cross is? It was for the salvation of the world. Who can tell me John 3.16 again? Come on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Therefore, listen to this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, oh, sorry, this is in Christ God. This is, that is, in Christ God, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Whom has God entrusted with the carrying on of his, message, his mission to rescue the world? And it's through this message of reconciliation it is you and me. My friends, the more you meditate on, on the cross, the more you recognize how the church does not exist for herself. The more you recognize what's at stake for the world if they don't hear about Jesus. The more you recognize how, how far God has gone to bring the world to himself in Christ and how easy he has made it for us to share this glorious message of reconciliation in Christ. Can I say to you today, if you will meditate on the cross, you will recognize what God is calling to you. And it is this, is you are called to be a partner of the gospel. I want to finish off with this. It is a quote. Might I say what we need as a church is we need, our cross, we need the cross to melt our hearts for the lost. Jesus said, I came to the world to seek and save the lost. The cross will not let us be self-centered. It makes us mission-minded. It tells us of the great mission of God to reconcile the world to himself and our partnership in it. If we identify with the cross, we identify with the mission. Amen? 
You cannot separate the two. Your life intrinsically becomes a part of the mission of God that has been a blessing for you. But this is what John Stott says. I want to finish this off as, as in honor of the guy's book that has been so helpful to us. The cross shatters the safety first motto. The cross shatters the safety first motto, which says, I am safely in God's kingdom. Let me settle down and enjoy myself. We still see security as our birthright and safety first as a prudent motto. Where is the spirit of adventure, the sense of uncalculating solidarity with the underprivileged? Where are the Christians who are prepared to put service before security, compassion before comfort, hardship before ease? Insistence on security is incompatible with the way of the cross. What daring adventure the incarnation and atonement were. Jesus had no security except his Father. So to follow Jesus is always to accept at least a measure of uncertainty, danger, and rejection for his sake. My friend, following the cross this Easter, if you will meditate on it, is being contrary to the crowd. And lastly, the cross is the revelation of God's justice as well as love. That is why the community of the cross should concern itself with social justice as well as loving philanthropy. It is never enough to have pity on the victims of injustice if we do nothing to change the unjust situation itself. Living in the light of the cross propels us to mission, to share God's message of reconciliation, to see souls saved. But if justice mattered so much to God in the cross, how can we ignore social injustice that souls find themselves in? Surely this is what it means to be salt and light. Powerful. I have done a very, I feel like five loaves and two fish job. And I'm trusting that Jesus today is going to minister to you. My friends, if there is one thing that you can meditate on, it is the glory of seeing Easter in you through the cross. And that is what we're going to do now. I want to explain this to you, these two elements of what we're about to receive. You'll see that there's the grape juice and the bread, and they represent something powerful, which I want to read from you in Scripture. This is Jesus' words before he died. He said, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The reason why we remember communion is we remember Christ's body and blood on the cross. When we talk about the cross, we're not talking about the power of a wooden object. We're talking about the one who was offered up on it. And today, I want you to take it as a believer and to think about what was preached this morning and say, where this morning, Lord, do I need to respond and say, thank you 
for the call of the cross on my life. And where are you calling me to submit again? This is for the believer. That means if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is for you. You're eating outwardly what you have, have, are, has happened inwardly. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, don't take the cup or the bread and don't feel ashamed to do so. No one will judge you. I'm about to hand one glass and one piece of bread to all of you. That's not how it's going to happen. You're going to stay in your seats and you're going to be served. And so I'm going to ask those to come up and do so. But I want you to do this quietly. Children, I want you to be quiet. If you know you have not yet followed Jesus in your heart, in other words, you have not made him the boss of your life, just let it pass by. Let your mom and dad take part. For those who are in Christ, enjoy the meal. Hold on to the elements and we'll eat and drink together as a family. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we're about to taste with our mouths, the symbol of what was shared on the cross, we thank you this morning, Lord, that we get to taste and eat forgiveness, acceptance, pardoning of sin, being welcomed into your presence as sons and daughters of the living God. That we get to taste, Lord, the blessing of being reconciled to you. And Lord, as we've taken of the bread and the cup, we haven't paid for it this morning. It was offered freely. We thank you, Jesus, that this mighty gift is for free. Lord, it humbles us again as we hold this bread and this cup to think about the cost that was paid by you, that we might taste freely and eat freely, uh, freely, Lord, all of the glory of what Christ is to us. And so we're thankful this morning, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We're thankful for the taste of the mission. Lord, that as we are about to taste this bread and drink this cup, we thank you, Lord, that we are participating in the mission and our living fruits of the mission of God's desire to reconcile the world to himself in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray as a church, as individuals here, if even on holiday going home, even for our children here this morning, Lord, we are praying that our hearts would be melted by the cross for the mission of God. We're so grateful we can eat and drink this morning together celebrate the victory of the cross. And so we do so now. Let's eat and drink together. Lord, it's wonderful to taste these things as a reminder of our nourishment in you. And we pray as we go, might we have a wonderful Easter Sunday. Oh, but Lord, might we not forget the cross and the glory that it means to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well done. Enjoy your Sunday.